I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I, a professed Frady cat, watched a bona fide scary movie in HBO Max's Malignant, and I'm going to talk about it. And actually, I'm coming to you having watched 28 minutes of the, what, one hour and 36-some-odd-minute movie, um, which is the benefit of having it on HBO Max, which is I can pause it and go take a break, go pray, (laughs) um, or whatever I want to do, and then come back to it. Now, I understand that there are some true cinephiles who are like, that is blasphemy, and, and you... You know, that's why you need, we need to watch films. I refuse to watch a, a, a new release from my home. I want to do it in, in the um, theater. And to you, I say, I appreciate you. I have watched a film during this pandemic, just the one. And that was um, a couple of months ago. And I have not been back in the theaters yet. This is exactly why I have not watched Candyman. Although I want to watch Candyman because I'm hearing that it's it's doing more justice to the situation that was supposed to be portraying in that Cabrini Green. Like if you guys haven't Googled Cabrini Green and you haven't looked up what that planned community was and how shoddy, the, like the whole backstory to that whole thing, you really need to look into it. There are certainly on social media, um, I think the council person for that, for that district in Chicago, Cabrini Green is, was a, uh, a housing development in, in um, Chicago. Was it the South Side? South Side of Chicago, something like that. And anyway, it was huge and it housed a lot of people. But the people that it tended to house were black and brown poor people or just poor people itself, but mostly black and brown folks. And, as, and, and also there just weren't a lot of resources there either. So um, and there were a lot of uh, maimings and a lot of accidents and unfortunately a few deaths because of the shoddy work in the building and the lack of resources and the lack of um, access to care, also the lack of response from emergency services and things like that. And so, you know, everybody should know at this point that that Candyman was like taking that real nightmare and turning it into an even deeper one Um, and then giving a reason for the well, the the just terrible things that were happening in around there. But The original movie was a little bit reckless. So the idea is that uh, or what folks are saying is that this new version is more critical of the socioeconomic circumstances that that led to this nightmare, this extra nightmare in the film. And then also there's just more care by the actors and and good acting by Yaha. So um, anyway, but I'm not watching it because I haven't I haven't watched it because I, it's not been released yet in a way that I can watch it because I'm not going to the theater for it. The Delta variant is, is doing its thing. And um, even though I've been to other things, I'm just not eager to go back into a theater um, under the current circumstances. But maybe I'll change my mind. It's just right now I think it's only available in the big ones and I'm not going to AMC, sorry. Well, actually I'm not sorry. I'll rather go to the independent ones where I know they're gonna be there are going to be patently fewer people in the theater. Excuse me, oh, on purpose, though. Um, anyway, but so it's good to have these 
uh, on-demand releases or same-day releases um, in HBO Max um, that I can pause and, uh, you know, dub, on-demand. Everybody loves on-demand. Anyway, but I'm... <sighs> so I, I watched the trailer of this thing and I was intrigued because, again, I, I, I've always said... I've said at least several times on this show, but I've always believed that to me, the movies that I find the most scary have some sort of supernatural aspect to it because super, the, the, the supernatural is a part of my religious system. And in fact, the supernatural is a part of all belief systems or at least religious systems. So, um, Religion in itself, I'm not talking about what people do to it. I'm talking about religion itself is, is a positive for folks who believe. However they practice, it is a positive. It is meant to give meaning and order and discipline and protection in ways and safety in other ways. Well, it's protection and safety, but um, strength is what I really meant to say. Strength in one way, in some ways, and, and protection and, and, and safety in other ways. I don't know. You get what I mean? Like, it's meant to build you up and also help you be secure in a group and, and feel supported at the same time. Like, you can feel empowered to do things and you can feel safe knowing that other people will can support you in this thing that you're doing, um, this growth, this journey that you're on, right? And so, for me to take elements of spiritual spirituality in the supernatural, which is the big unknown still. Like there are millions of books, countless documentaries, countless uh, audio tapes and podcasts all about spirituality and, and different aspects of it. But there's the whole basis of belief is that there's just so much you don't know. And so you're stepping out, you're stepping out on the, on a, you're believing in something that you don't, you can't totally prove. That is belief. That is the core of belief. Um, and you're living your life hoping to see that end that you're looking for, whatever it is. And, and it's not just that Christian end that, that, uh, that most people are aware of, because quite frankly, Christians talk a lot. We just got put a lot of stuff out. But like whatever, like Nirvana or whatever that end is for you, what, whatever that peak perfection is for you. Cause again, perfection is a thing that is a theme that is, that is, I haven't said it before, but it's something I've thought about a lot, but, and just studying religions as a way to get closer to my own religious practice. Um, perfection, that perfect form is something that is, that is strived for in most of the major religions for sure. Um, which is, well, that's a whole other conversation because you could also argue that there's a certain type of major religions that, that subscribe to that. But anyway, um, there's, certainly, there's certainly a lot of religions that might not be considered major, but are certainly popular um, that don't prescri- prescribe to a final form, a, 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 yeah, a final form at all, um, but more harmony and balance with where you are now. Um, recognizing per, imperfect, perfect perfection and imperfection. Um, and anyway, so religion itself, not what people do to it, but religion or, or how people weaponize it, but religion itself and the religious practice itself 
is a positive thing. And so in movies to me or in stories to turn that positive or an aspect of that positive that is, is totally harmless, turn it around and, and twist it into something that take that, take that concept and say, now, what if, what if that thing actually meant you harm? And what if it, that thing that was, that if used incorrectly could harm you was then bottled in some way and then launched toward or set upon you? Like, what would that be like? And I honestly, from what you get from the trailer of Malignant and certainly what I've been getting in the first 28 minutes of watching this thing, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, it's kind of taking an aspect of, and this is... <clears throat> an aspect of the supernatural. Well, it is taking the supernatural in a way as if I'm, if I'm getting it, if I'm getting it right and turning it into this force for evil and pinning it, it's like setting it upon a particular person. And so this journey is going to be interesting. Right now, I'm not scared even though I'm a professed scaredy cat and I watch scary movies in the daytime. I'm in fact watching this right now in the daytime. Um, And then I watch palate cleansing things and read scripture and stuff so that I can get my soul together so I can get my spirit right. Um, Because I have a vivid, active imagination and also terrible terrible nightmares that just terrible girl terrible and so well not terrible but when I do have them they're vivid and they're scary as crap um and so I, I'm calling myself doing myself a favor but I'm thinking like oh shoot I don't have to do no favors because so far I'm not scared there's a reason why I'm not scared and it has nothing to do with the subject itself it has everything to do with the setup and so I'm hoping the setup on this thing changes throughout the the movie because let me tell you something. One of the reasons why I was scared to watch this thing in the first place and was purposed to watch it during the day is because the creators of Malignant are also the creators of Insidious. And I have talked about, maybe I haven't talked about Insidious here, but I've definitely talked about it to um, some of my homegirls um, before because I watched, I had the opportunity to watch Ins- Insidious because one of my former coworkers long time ago, Every October, host a scary movie watchathon every single night, save for like a couple of nights in the month. Um, they invite people over to their home with their partner, and they we just watch scary movies on whatever night you're choosing to watch. And there's so much detail put into this that there's literally with the invitation comes a calendar of what movies are going to play on what days and an opportunity that if there's like slots open that you could suggest a movie. And so very organized. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so this one particular night, I think it was actually on Halloween night. I can remember it was like Halloween night, 2018. It was either 2017 or 2018. I feel like it was 2018 though. Um, went over there dressed up like a doe which was so cute. I figured out the makeup for it. I didn't have the antlers, but I did make my hair extra curly. Um, my, I was loose at the time. No, was I loose in 2018? Yeah, 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 I was, my hair was loose 
my hair was loose in October, by October 2018, but by November on my, um, the anniversary, my, my Sigmaversary, my anniversary in the sorority, I locked my, I locked my hair that following month. So my hair was loose. So in a, in a loose Afro. So at the time it was like, um, um, like a raspberry brown. Yeah. Figure like a light raspberry brown, not necessarily like the Laffy Taffy, but like a, it's like a light pinky, like a light pinky, um, maroon with gold in it and brown. Cause it was, um, it was like a polish. It wasn't a, a permanent, it was semi-permanent polish, um, or demi is a demi-permanent polish. And anyway, um, so my hair was in that and it was glossy and it was shiny and oily cause you know, it was juicy. Anyway, so think tight curls because that's what my loose hair is. It's tight curls. Um, and a lot of it. So it was like below my shoulders at the time, but like, well, no, just at my shoulders at the time, but you know how curly hair do, especially, uh, uh natural, like black curly hair do it. Um, it was tight curls, so it didn't hang down to my shoulders, but it was to my shoulders anyway. Um, so I had that and then I had the dough makeup, you know, the little white spots with the little black nose and the, uh, the white on your lip and then the red. Anyway, the white, like the white upper lip and the red bottom lip with the little black thing in the middle of your, your cupid's bow. Anyway, I was so cute and I had, you know, a little, uh, uh, what is it? The, um, oh, it was like the light pink gold, pinky gold makeup on. It was cute. Anyway, um, and then I think I just threw on some regular clothes. Like I ain't do too much. I just did my face. Anyway, I went over there thinking that everybody else, because it was Halloween night, everybody else would dress up. And of course, nobody else dressed up. Nobody even put any makeup on. They barely had a bowl of candy. It was most more so regular food, um, alcoholic beverages, and a bowl of candy for babies who decided if they wanted to pass by. But we were here watching movies. So I'm like, bump y'all. Anyway, so we're sitting back and we're watching films. And I know I've talked about these films before, but Insidious is the one of all the scary films. And believe me, there were some scary films, some very scary films um, that were on that. Well, scary to me. There was this one movie about twin boys who by the end of that thing, I'm about to spoil it for somebody. But it's like I think it was a German film. It was either German or a, a film out of Spain. And anyway, the whole movie you got this these twin boys who are running around basically just in their own little creating running around in the wilderness like like they lived with their mom on this secluded little peninsula or something like that or a little alcove something like that but they were by the water and there were little caves all over the place or at least one little cave a big body of water and then lots of trees and then this lone beautiful like modern house that looked kind of cold actually, but I, I got, they were, it was either German, it was either a German film or it was a uh, film out of Spain in any way. Um, but it was foreign language. I remember it was subtitled and I remember like after a while, it was so, it got so good that I forgot that I was watching a movie with subtitles um, because it just like my memory, it was so tough that my memory of like, I didn't, it was so good that I've, thought it was in English looking back, thinking back on it because I was just into it so deep. Um, 
And anyway, by the end of the film, come to find out one of the twin boys wasn't even alive and basically was malignant spirit that was trying to get his brother, his live brother to do terrible things, and he did. Uh, And there's a huge tragedy at the end and all the family is united, but not in the way that normal people would think, but like in the worst way possible. And so I remember watching that and you would think, because it was about children, um, supernatural things and things with children in it are scary all the time. And I think studies have been done on that. Um, There's a movie called The Bad Seed. Actually, no, there's a movie from the 90s that's called The Bad Seed that is a remake of The Bad Seed from like the 50s or the 40s. And anyway, both of those were terrible with a child that was supposed to be angelic, but ultimately turned into be the devil incarnate. And it was just scary because something so banal, like a sweet little child with a little, like in this context, both of those contexts, it was little white kids, little blonde haired white kids, blue eyed, blue eyed, blonde haired, little white kids, little rosy cheeks. How in the world could they be so terrible? Well, like in the real world, because people are terrible, baby. It doesn't matter what they look like, baby. People are terrible. People can be pretty terrible. Um, And what we, anyway, what we know is that uh, there's a whole segment of people who don't recognize that culture is a thing and, well, no, they recognize culture is a thing. Well, anyway, people can be terrible, including privileged white people. Um, But actually people of privilege at all who don't recognize their privilege are, can be super terrible. Anyway, um, especially little kids who, are raised with reckless abandon. And actually that wasn't fair because there's a whole conversation about, uh, anyway, um, cause those movies really bring up discipline and the parents not doing a good job. At, it's not always on the parents, but anyway, um, regardless of the, the troubling commentary that those movies bring up, those are pretty scary. And so this going back, flash forwarding to 2018 on that, um, watching that scary movie thon, I would have thought that the most, the scariest film that would have stuck out to me was the one with the kids in it because the way the thing ended, it was terrible. Like it was a good film, but that was just a wild movie. Um, and it was super scary, especially the way that it ended. Anyway, but no, the most scary film that stuck out, or, or at least the film that stuck out the furthest in my mind and had the most lasting impression on me was Insidious. We watched Insidious that night too. It was the last film that we watched. No, 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 it wasn't even the last film that we watched. I wa- we watched Insidious before we watched that other movie that, I'm talk- that I was talking about. But anyway, Insidious got to me in a way that that other film did not. Despite how chilling that other film was, this was colder. This was creepy. And to me, creepier. Creepy beats blood-curdling, scary, like, not blood-curdling, scary, but like slasher films day in, day out. Even though Insidious has a slasher element to it, it's creepy because it plays with the idea that even in death, you're not far from a person. And in fact, somebody who was unhappy and, and, and mean in, in, in life, but like otherwise harmless can like really realize their terrible potential at, in the afterlife. And you could play with it if you want to, but 
what was what's that saying that you stare at the abyss long enough that sometimes the abyss stares back and you might be able to change your own behavior but the 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 abyss or or that thing that you playing with does whatever the heck it wants to do sometimes you unleash a thing you can't you can't leash back that's what insidious is to me and that's why it's scary super scary and the most troubling to me because of the, the because of that basically and so insidious got that my was a stick up my crawl and stayed there for a minute i'm sitting up here thinking malignant is gonna be the same and so girl why would you do that to yourself and think about the terms insidious malignant those terms themselves first off let's just the the those terms themselves are inherently negative words meant to describe negative behavior but 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 put could but just put even more dirty color to that behavior by using those phrases and so ugh, anyway so insidious did a number on me and and messed up my dreams for a minute um and I'm like, do I really want Malignant to do the same thing? But I'm like, you know what? I really want to watch this thing because what got me about it is because there's supposed to be a something like a sibling element to it, which again is the thing that intrigued me about that foreign language film, whose name I can't remember, um, about the two little twin boys. They must've been like eight or nine PS. Like I know one of y'all listening and knows what I'm talking about, but anyway, they were like eight or nine and Anyway, that so they were young, but they were able to do things, which also just makes it so frustrating and more scary because it's like, you know, enough, but not enough to make smart choices and decisions and to recognize when you're being played or what happens to you. And so anyway, so there's a sibling. It feels like there's a sibling element here in this film. And so I'm like, all right, I mean, let's play with it. Let's. Let's let's see about this thing. Let's see how you get there. And let me watch this in the daytime and let me watch this in parts so that I can, um, you know, truly try to digest this thing because I really do want to see more films and I do want to stretch my limits um, and my taste. It's just, whew, I don't want to stretch my psyche either. Um, but so the first 28 minutes of this thing, I got to be honest with you. I'm unhappy with the first 28 minutes because the the setup is not great. Um, just letting you know now. Insidious, the setup was, I guess looking back on it, I guess the setup wasn't the best in the world, but I don't remember it being this terrible. But this is a terrible setup. Um, the, our, our introduction to the, to the main character isn't... There's... Uh, there's domestic violence in this film, which I don't know that anybody talks about or that you <clears throat> are even prepared for. The trailer doesn't even prepare you for it. Um, and there's an element of science, like a mad scientist that is, is in this thing, too, which I don't think the film prepares you for. Um, and so if you're going to watch this thing, just like not for the mad scientist thing, but like prepare yourself for the. DV aspect. It's only in there, at least in the beginning. It's in there, even in the first 28 minutes, it's only in there for like maybe five of it, but those five minutes aren't great. And then the rest of the minutes that thereafter were talking about it. 
um, which also is something you should brace yourself for. But, um, but yeah, so I stopped it right as like, I'm so I'm still in the first act. It's just, hmm, where's this film going to go? Because the setup itself isn't great. And I'm a little bit dubious about the acting. I am a little bit dubious about this acting, y'all. So again, I want to give it a benefit of the doubt because I, I, I'm actually, I don't want to admit it, but I'm a little bit of a thrill seeker, clearly, because if Insidious scared the, the just scared me silly, I'm kind of looking for, I'm looking a little bit to be scared silly by Malignant. It's not doing the trick at the moment. So when I come back, I will come back with the particulars of Malignant. Um, more background story on, on kind of the premise of this thing itself, if there are any real world connections to it at all. Um, and then just go into the film itself. Just break it down. I'm going to spoil the heck out of it. So if you have not watched it on HBO Max, you don't have a subscription, you can't bootleg it. Um, but you want to. Just chill on this uh, episode for a minute. But if you don't care, come on, stay with me, and I will talk about the rest of... I will talk about the particulars and then the rest of the film. (sighs) Okay, so I'm coming back to you after having finished the movie... Um, turns out the runtime for this whole thing is an hour and 51 minutes. Don't know where I got 139. It makes a difference, the length of this thing. I think I would have felt the length of it had I, had I watched it in one sitting. Perhaps even in, if I was in a theater, I would have definitely felt the length, the, the, the actual length of this thing. So, um, let me get to the particulars of this thing and then I will give just a general overview or my general thoughts. How about that? Um, okay. So, uh, this film, it came out by the time you're listening to this, it came out last Friday, um, in theaters and on HBO max. Um, I think you can watch it on what you can watch it on Tubi for no, you probably have to have a subscription for Tubi. Um anyway, it is um directed by James Wan, starring Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, George Ng, who goes by George Young, apparently. He's a British actor, he's cute too. Um and uh or is it British He's a Chinese British Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, Chinese British um he's a he's a British person of Chinese descent. Um I'm not even I'm not sure if he's immigrated there. Didn't even bother to look. Um I just saw his picture and I was like, mm, he's cute." Anyway, um and then what the heck is this woman's name? McCole Briani White. Mm, doesn't matter. Um, I'm mad that he changed his name to Young it, when it's Ng. And his wife is Asian too. So like, what's the T? I don't get this. 
like, is it, he, I don't even think he's like biracial. Well, I don't know. I don't know his background. Oh, his nationality is British. So perhaps he's British. He's a British actor with, um, of Asian heritage or Chinese heritage. Um, anyway, it's kind of messed up that he changed his last name to Young when Ng is a perfectly good name. Anyway, um, boy, there is not a lot of color in here. So, um, it's George Young, um, and oh my goodness, they don't even have the police officer. They don't even have the detective. Hmm. There's a detective. In, oh yeah, they do at the very big. Oh, it's McCole, McCole Brianna um, White. But like, that's it. Like background actors who are brown, but this is a very pale looking cast. Um, anyway, shot in the time of COVID. So this film, um, is a little bit different than most because there's not a ton of background actors. Literally almost everybody that's in the film has like a, like a storyline. There aren't, there, there aren't too many background actors because of COVID. So, and, and pro, COVID onset protocol, I'm sure. Um, so that was the one thing that I noticed in the film because you know you watch any film any film pre-covid there were tons of people all over especially if it was in a hospital there's tons of people in waiting rooms you see people coming in and out of the thing you see uh doctor or people dressed up as doctors you know well or doctors and nurses coming through with clipboards and things like that walking hurriedly to you know wherever or People just, you know, at the nurses, nurses at the nurses station, just doing nurse stuff. You know what I mean? Like, um, you would always see that pre-COVID, but of course, you know, with the protocol and all, you got to cut that down. And, and certainly nobody wants to be the source of an outbreak. So anyway, um, so that was interesting, but getting back to this thing itself, um, so there is box office. It's 2.2 million, but that doesn't mean anything to me because I actually don't know what the budget is. Um, so anyway, but it is earned 2.2 million um, at the time. Well, actually, at the time you're listening to this, it will have earned more um, than that by now. But who's to say what the actual budget is? I'm sure that's somewhere. Um, as it relates to the critics' score. Um, IMDb has it as 6.3 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes has it 74%, so that's fresh. Um, 67% of Google users enjoyed this film. Um, I enjoyed aspects of this film, but I could not say emphatically that I enjoyed this film. I did not. Um, but before I go into that, I think the only thing I want to say is I, I did... So there are two things that I do that I did enjoy about this film. First, first, right off the bat, it is not the spiritual, psychological thriller that I thought it was going to be, um, or the creepy thing that Insidious was. It didn't give me that at all. It didn't do any of that. Um, 
nope, didn't didn't even come close. Like, what was I thinking? Like, I I, I think I set the bar a little too high, um, thinking that this would be an insidious type of film. It wasn't. Um, there were many points in the movie that were meant to scare your socks off. It just didn't hit that way for me. Um, and I'm a Freddy cat, like a certified Freddy cat. I'm not joking. Again, I watch scary movies during the daytime because I don't play that. And I want there to be, I want there to have been life happening between uh, the, me, conclu- me ending the, the scary film and me going to bed. That was my mistake for Insidious. That was the worst idea ever. It was the last thing that I, no, it wasn't the last thing that I watched, but like it was hours before bed. It was a bad mistake, right? Um, and then, so I, I compared it to Insidious, which was, I shouldn't have done. Um, but to, but to be fair, the promo, the, the promos for the film or at least the, the, I swore I saw something advertised that said from the makers of, or from the director of Insidious or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's kind of set my expectation. Like, oh, I know exactly what Insidious did. And so I'm expecting a similar quality. And so, no, it just didn't, it just didn't, I wasn't scared at all. There were some tense moments. There were some shocking moments in the film, but like, I'm cool. Like, I'm going ha- to sleep well um, tonight. Anyway, um, but, I, but, so, but getting back to the two things that I did appreciate. I did appreciate... Well, I was going to say the way that they talked about mental health, but nope, they didn't really hit that on the head like they should have done. Um, family, I will say this. I did appreciate how they addressed family. Um, what we learned pretty well, pretty early on, and this is not a huge spoiler at the moment, at this moment, but later on, I am going to spoil the heck out of this film. Um, but... The lead character is adopted. And we learn throughout the film that clearly a lot happened. A lot happened in this person's life as a child. And they've spent, you know, a lot of time trying to overcome those challenges. Um, as a child, and I think there was a moment where they were kind of... Yeah, trying to overcome the trauma of her past. Um, And there's a point at which, at several, actually, at several points within the film, there's a, like, an over arching theme of sisterhood and bond or siblinghood and bonding. And throughout the film, one of the things that we learn is that the lead character um, desperately wants to um, create a blood bond. Um, and And I think something to that effect 
I think that phrase was uttered at least once or some variation of it, no, twice, some variation of that phrase, like blood bond, was uttered at least twice in the film, once in the beginning and certainly once at the end. Um, because this, the the main character, I'm going to stop calling her the main character, and I'm going <laughs> to say her name, the... Um, I can't tell what these people look like. Madison. Okay, bet. Um, so Annabelle Wallace is play. It plays Madison. Um, it's because the the actress who the actor who plays Madison, her hair is blonde in the stock photo, but in the film it's like stick straight black or dark brown. Anyway. Um, so anyway, she's, she, because she was adopted, because she had this traumatic childhood, in her adulthood, she's striving for, for a blood bond. So she wants to have a child, but she keeps, um, unfortunately, she's not been able to do that. Um, and so it's not a huge, like it's not brought up enough for me um, in the film to really stick out in a way that makes sense, but, um, or really, you know, punch home the fact that, just really punch it for me. Um, But nevertheless, it's something that's brought up several times. And so at the end, there's this really interesting um, kind of exchange that happens where she reevaluates her understanding of family um, and connections and how, Connections can go beyond mere DNA, right? Go well beyond me, mere DNA. So that's one thing I appreciated about it. The other thing I appreciated about it is I always do enjoy a film that gives a nod to where they are shooting from or where they are filming from, the, where, where it's located, where the, the, where, the um, where it's set. And this film is set in Seattle. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Insidious was set in Seattle, like all of the the movies in that genre by that director, um, by that production house are set in and around Seattle. And I appreciate that, not because I appreciate Seattle, I don't really know too much about it, um, but that I do enjoy learning more about the setting than just it's happening here. Um, One of my critiques about a, a lot of movies in Baltimore is that there's really no there's like winks and nods to those films. But if it's somebody saying, oh, we want to set it in Baltimore, there's not a whole lot of homage paid to the the rich history that's here. And I'm not saying that whatever the subject matter of the film is, you need to stop and tell me all about Baltimore. But like case in point, um, what was that? What was that movie? What was that? What was that movie? Um, it was like something about love and it's Ben Affleck was in it. And I think, um, what was the woman that was named Jennifer Aniston? Um, Jennifer Aniston was in it and some other folks. It was a predominantly white cast because that's what people, you know, that's what Hollywood love to do. Come to a predominantly black city and then have predominantly uh, a white cast with, uh, background actors of, just the United Colors have been a time for the background actors, but when it comes to the main characters, oh no, cannot be um, 
any include many people of color, but anyway, their way of paying homage to where they were located was to have the Domino Sugar. One of the lead characters or a couple of the characters live downtown, live further downtown than I am. Um, probably had them in like on Federal Hill or maybe in um, Fells Point. No, no, no. It had to be like Federal Hill or um, no, it had to be Federal Hill in order for you to see the Domino Sugar sign. No, it could have been it could have been uh, it could have been Fells Point or Federal Hill, but that was what it was. That was the, the closest they got to like really paying homage to Baltimore is having having a couple of scenes of them walking on the waterfront, the uh, residential side of the waterfront, and in one of the um, scenes in the uh, apartment or condo wherever they were filming out of or whatever the scene was supposed to be had the domino sugar sign like bright neon glowing which is what it does I'm actually in my bedroom and while my while our windows aren't facing the harbor I'm actually looking at the reflection of the domino sugar sign in the um window of the building that's next to me um which isn't creepy or weird at all but anyway um but yeah so it's big bright flashing it's like a staple in Baltimore it was like a big deal when they turned the sign off to change the bulbs uh they changed them from the old bulbs to more energy efficient um supposed to provide a brighter but but at the same time less harsh red glow because it's red domino sugar sign you google it it's a big fat red sign domino sugar is the sugar company and they're they operate out of here they're i think they're headquartered out of here and so anyway it um it's a staple of baltimore it's it's one of those symbols of baltimore you know when you google baltimore the domino sugar sign comes up it just do and so when you film here it's not too many it's not too many um pieces of media be it tv documentaries movies videos you know music videos you name it every one of them has the domino sugar sign in it because it's so iconic but there's so much more to baltimore so much more to baltimore than the domino sugar sign there's so many more the 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 bromo seltzer's down the street from where from from where we are from our, our our building and that is iconic and that's in but I, where am i going what i'm saying is it this particular film kind of frustrated me didn't more than kind of it frustrated me um for a myriad reasons some of which i've already mentioned but the fact that it really didn't pay too much homage to baltimore at all except visually and in visually paying homage it was just like a couple of shots and the domino sugar sign so getting back to this film i really do enjoy um the fact that not only did you get an understanding that you were in Seattle, and of course there were some cliches of like, you know, Ooh, of course if you're in Seattle, it's got to rain. So it was raining tremendously in several of the shots. But then also there was some history injected into the film, which I do appreciate. Um, so apparently there was a point in Seattle's history, which there's a, a couple of things that I've learned about Seattle, or at least I've heard about Seattle. I thought I thought I heard that Seattle was kind of established. It was it was built up by people in the gold rush, folks going west, going out west to 
pan for gold um, because there was gold in the Nahar Hills. Um, but then also I heard that it was supposed to be a utopia for um, affluent white folks escaping the grit and dirt and and I don't even know if I can back this up, but just like the grit and dirt and all the, the people of color and the and the communities that were ne'er-do-wells, because let's be for real, Irish and Italian um, immigrants were not always in vogue. They were not always considered white. Let's be for real, like they were not. Um, and so a lot of folks fled New York because obviously that's where a lot of immigrants were coming in and they were like, ooh, dirty immigrants, so they left and moved to Seattle. So while it might've started as like a mining place that was definitely taken, more land that was taken from indigenous um, peoples, indigenous tribes, there's that piece there too. Um, it turned into this place that was supposed to be a haven for affluent white folks, getting away from those scummy immigrants and poor, uh, poor people. And of course, I mean, black and Asian folks, let's give me a break. like. You can clean my house, but like, I don't want you around me. You know what I mean? But there's, I can't substantiate any of that. That's just something that I heard. Um, but given the history of America, it doesn't sound like that's, that's abnormal. Um, anyway, uh, so out, even outside of that, in the movie, and I guess it would be interesting to fact check this or at the very least look into it, Apparently, there's, there's a scene that explains, there's a scene that's in this underground um, cavern or whatever, but it's actually not a natural cavern. It's a man-made one because there was a huge fire and flooding that happened in Seattle. And as a result of the rebuild process, they decided to raise the elevation of parts of the city, or at least where they were, um, raise it up. I don't even know how high, but high enough that there's a whole cavern, uh, underneath the city because they wanted to avoid Florida, the, the same catastrophe that, that befell them, um, that which required them to rebuild. So, um, in the scene, there's a point where they say, you know, the cobble streets, they, their approach was, well, let's just build it up and call it. So like they didn't really tear down too much, but that you could see the cobblestone of the original street and you can see some of the storefronts of the original street there. And I, and I was interesting because it feels like that wouldn't be something that you would make up. Like, of course, in the film, there was a scene that they played up because, uh, you know, everything is in the movie is intentional. Um, where they, this tour that happened on in the film, um, something else takes place in that same area. Um, but nevertheless, I don't think that that whole thing was fictitious. Obviously, it was a setup for those later scenes, but I don't think the whole thing was fictitious. Um, which is interesting. And again... I appreciate that history being injected into the city Um, because again, what good is setting a film or any piece of media in a city to what's good is it to set it there? If you're not going to, especially if it's a major city, 
if you're not going to like share a little bit about the city, like let's not assume that everybody knows. Again, I don't know too much about Seattle, but that little tidbit right there piqued my interest, right? Obviously, I want to run down those rumors, but I also want to run down, you know, did this catastrophe befall the city and make it make it so that the the leaders decided to raise it up well above the street, the original street level to avoid such catastrophes again. Like that would be that's interesting to me. That's something that's very interesting to me. So anyway, those are the two things that I really appreciated about the film that family piece there and that, that history piece. Cause again, you, you know, well, not again, but I won't say it again. You, you, I, I feel like I, I got the point across, I think. So anyway, so now to the not so fun part and the reason why ultimately I don't think this movie is scary at all. Um, yeah, let me just dive right into it. Okay, so let me get to it. Um, So the film is named Malignant, and unless you are a spelling bee whiz, um, you don't typically hear that word unless it's associated with cancer. Typically, when you hear something in reference to malignant, it's a cancerous tumor that is attacking the body and that needs to be cut out. If not, it can lead to death. Um, and so, you know, malignant is in, in the context of this film, it's not as strong as insidious because insidious is just an icky word. Malignant is too, but it just feels like it doesn't have the same punch as insidious. And consequently, this film doesn't either. Um, So I was confused by why they use the term malignant because in the trailers, um, the uh, protagonist, I guess you want to call it protagonist, um, what is her name? Uh, Madison. So the protagonist from the trailer is haunted by someone who has a connection to her, right? And what you learn in the trailer is that he's killing do we say, we say, yeah, yeah, he's killing, he's killing uh, people as a means to get closer to her. And so maybe you're thinking, oh, this is a malignant, like a family connection as personified by a cancer, like a cancerous tumor or something like that, which like words mean things. And, and that imagery like is kind of tired because I don't know, maybe it's just kind of tired for me because I know too many people who've been impacted by cancer and I don't know, it just doesn't have the same punch to me. And in fact, it just makes me think, oh, y'all literally could not think of anything more imaginative, more creative than this, but okay, we we gonna roll with it. Um, So anyway, I'm going into the film and at the start of this baby, at the start of this baby, we get this cliched, 
interview from a doctor, like a um, like a recording of a doctor sitting at their desk in their lab coat. I think she was in her lab coat, but she was definitely sitting at her desk with her nameplate visible in the in the recording, like an old 1990s um, recording setup, you know, like a VHS tape. And she's sitting there and she's giving some sort of testimonial and it's, it's not testimonial, but it's like a archival, it, not archival, but it's a, a statement for the record. Basically, she's doing the whole mad scientist thing. I'm, uh, you know, that whole cliche thing. I'm trying something. I'm trying something that I think if it will work, will change things, you know, will revolutionize medicine in a way and stuff like that. Like, old tired cliche so I'm like oh, okay this movie is not coming out to a great start but I'll you know again Insidious was kind of corny at points too but overall it got me so I'm like all right well let's go so she gives the testimonial or the recording she um does her recording and then we flash forward and we do a jump cut to we're in the um a wing of the hospital, like a secured wing of a hospital. And there's a lot of orderlies or a lot of staff. I keep saying, I'm saying it, the term orderly, when I was thinking about it, when I was watching it, and then I was thinking about it, the term orderly came up, but I don't know if that's a, a modern term for someone who assists nurses and doctors in the hospital. I don't know the terms, but anyway, so hospital staff. So the hall, the corridor, it seems as if it's filled with hospital staff, but if you really look at it, it's really not. It's like eight people in that whole shot. And it just reminds me of COVID protocol because, you know, you'd see more than eight people in there. You'd see like a bunch of people coming up and through the halls pre-COVID, right? Because lots of extras, because there's lots of people in a hospital. Even on a secured uh, wing, there's still a lot of people in the hospital. So anyway, um, so, you know, it, it, it's clearly everybody is going to a particular room. And, um, and, and the doctor is on, their, on her way to go to that same room. And in, as she's going there, there's a trail of hurt bodies, broken bodies, dead bodies on the way. And then... Um, She's accompanied by a security guard who it's clear something is going wrong. Something is going wrong with a particular patient. And so the security guard has a weapon, something looking like a rifle or something like that, um, that is preloaded with a dart that is full of something. But the dart has like the red fuzzy thing at the end. And so what we've come to know in movies is when you have a dart that's filled with some mysterious liquid and there's a red fuzzy dot, a red fuzzy topper thingy at the end, that's a, a tranquilizer. Like that's what we've come to know tranquilizers look like, especially in the hospital context. Um, and so he's, he's loaded the weapon with this tranquilizer and it's clear that he's gonna go get, get, tranquilize whatever is 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 flipping out um and so he attempts to go do that and meanwhile back at the ranch carnage everywhere literally blood and carnage everywhere from whatever this thing that needs to be sedated attacking um hospital staff left and right to the point where people are dying things are broken and he coming in here with a dart anyway um so because clearly even though these lives are being lost and it is a tragedy it's not more tragic than sh- it's not tragic enough to 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 eliminate this thing that's causing all of this carnage we just want to 
tranquilizer. So anyway, which again, very cliche, super duper cliche. Anyway, um, so, you know, the, the security guard tries to go through this door that is slightly ajar. Um, and no, 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 he opens it and to try to get the thing that needs to be tranquilized. And somehow or another, the thing does not reach for the weapon and get him. He reaches for the thing, reaches for the security guard's arm and breaks it. And the security guard's like, ah, because it's broken. His arm is like broken. And of course, because it's horror film, like the bones sticking out. Um, anyway, so then the fearless doctor who did just did that, like, uh, extemporaneous conversation, like that had that monologue, um, take, picks up the, I believe the doctor picks up the, the dart gun, um, and hits the target actually does what the security guard couldn't do, um, because she's just fearless and anyway, um, and, and super capable anyway. So tranquilizes the thing and, um, the few hospital staff that were untouched or at least barely touched, um, but still victimized by this thing, um, begin to drag the thing to the bed and, and secure it down basically. And in taking it to secure, to, in, in taking the thing to strap it down and, and secure it, we see little feet like little kid sized feet with socks, cute little kid socks on it. Um, and so we get the sense that the thing that was causing all this damage, killing all these people, maiming all these people was a child, a child with a um, deformed face um, that could manipulate sound waves because somehow or another the person can't verbalize, the child can't verbalize or articulate what they're saying verbally, but is able to manipulate a nearby radio um, of some kind and is able to eke out in the static, I will kill you. I'll kill you all or something like that. And then the scene ends basically because the doctor is now determined to shut down whatever the experiment was um, and put Gabriel down for good, or at least neutralize Gabriel for good. And so that's the end of the scene. And that's the opening scene. And I'm like, not impressed when I'm first seeing it, but I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe the corner's gonna, maybe we, you know, Insidious was, to be clear, I felt like Insidious was a little corny in the beginning a little bit, but like overall it scared the socks off me, right? And so I'm like, let me just be, let me give, let me put some respect out here because I certainly don't want to get played like I got played for Insidious. So anyway, I'm like, all right, well, that was corny, but let me just, let me just keep it, keep it cute. So we flash forward to the next scene. The next scene, long story short, is we get to meet Madison, who is a nurse of some kind, working in some kind of um, clinic. And she's in pain. She's pregnant. Maybe she's five or six months pregnant. She's showing, but not like it's, she's not, she's not further along than like six months. Um, and so she's in pain, she, you know, back aches and, and things like that. Like it gives you the sense that it's the usual, it's, it's like the usual 
pregnancy pain like times two, like she's just having a bad day. And so she can't go to work. And so she tells her coworkers she can't, she can't continue working. Um, so she leaves and she goes home to this raggedy rundown home that clearly is not, it clearly looked like it get cold at night and it's real hot in, in the, uh, the, um, summertime. Like it's hard to heat and it's hard to cool, um, because it's so old and it looks raggedy on the outside. Like it needs a fresh coat of paint. But anyway, it, it just, it just does not give me the image of what you would see in Seattle. For me, it would think, I would think that, you know, because it's Seattle and it's, it's hippy dippy and all of that stuff that it would be, um, a, a energy efficient home. Um, and that just doesn't strike me as energy efficient. Sounds very expensive. It strikes me as very expensive, um, and very rodent riddled. But anyway, um, that's just me. It just is a crappy looking house. But again, this is a horror film. Um, so it's not like rundown, rundown, but it's just like, needs a lot of love and affection. Anyway, so, so, uh, Madison, I keep wanting to call her everything, but her, the, the name in the film, cause it's just a, anyway, moving on. So Madison goes home and she goes home to her boo thing, um, which is Jake. No, Derek, Derek, um, Derek played by Jake Abel. Anyway, um, so she goes home to him and again, she's, she's really showing you in her, in, um, in her movement that she's really in pain. And I was like, okay, girl, we get it. But like, okay, like this is a film. Let me just not be so hypercritical. Let me stop being hypercritical. So she goes up to the stairs and she gets into their shared bedroom where, uh, Derek clearly out of work behind is just laid up in the bed. Like he home, he home, like, I don't know, maybe he did, he, he does have a job, but like he was surely chilling in the middle of the day um, at the house in the bed. So like, what were you doing all day? But anyway, um, so she's like, yeah, baby. He's like, what are you doing home? And he was like, yeah, baby, I, you know, she was like, yeah, I was just, you know, just, just didn't have a good day. And then he's like, see, that's why I told you, you should, I really don't think you should be working. And then from that conversation, it escalates to him and trigger warning. This is, uh, I'm about to describe acts of violence, uh, against, uh, a partner. Um, but he starts fussing with her and they start to tussle and he shoves her into the wall and he shoves her in the wall so hard that when she, she, uh, pulls away from the wall, her head has hit it so hard that there's now an imprint, um, where he slammed her into the wall. And then he apologizes profusely and he's like let me go get a rag clean that up because she puts her hand on the back of her head and and she draws back blood and while he runs out to go downstairs it's a double uh it's like a two-story house or three-story something like that anyway while he's going downstairs to go get a rag or something she musters up the strength to go and lock the door and after she locks the door she turns around on it and slides down does the the typical slide down on the door and in doing so, there's a trail of blood from where, where her head was touching the, the door. There's a trail of blood that leads down to where she slid down at the base of the door. So clearly, she's very, very hurt. And he's knocking on the door. He comes back and he finds the door is locked. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'll never do it again. And that's basically the scene. 
And I'm just like, okay. Who you didn't handle that well either. Um, clearly, this is a setup scene, right? Like, we know that this is supposed to be the catalyst for something. It's clear based on how much time they spent on it and how intense it was. But, like, wow. At no point has she called the police. This is supposed to play to the stereotype that women don't often, or people, any, anybody who's involved in an intimate partner violence, that do not call the police. But she also doesn't go to the hospital either. Like she doesn't go to the hospital to get help. She doesn't do anything. Um, and and in this moment, you don't get the sense that this is escalated to this point, or maybe you do get the sense that it's done. It. It's just she's not done anything um and so okay um that's a shocking thing to happen and she's has no one also playing into the stereotype which is not actually a stereotype but it's like a common thing and let me just back up because I what I didn't want to say is that it's it's I didn't mean to say it's not a stereotype that that people who are involved in domestic or intimate partner violence situations don't call the police or don't report the crime. It, that's, that is typical. I guess what I'm saying is it just felt like this movie was pulling all of the tricks out, like checking off boxes so far. And I'm like, don't love that there's no nuance here. Don't love that she doesn't have anyone to come to her aid. Don't love that I don't love what we're doing here. And beside the fact that I knew that this was a setup for the entire film. So anyway, like it just felt like she was, her abuse, her abuse is the catalyst for this whole film. And I was right. Her abuse is the catalyst for this whole film because that night, again, and also not only does Homeworld not go and get medical attention, she don't even go to a clinic. Like, she doesn't even go to urgent care to get it stitched up and comes up with some lie, right? Like, she needs medical attention. She doesn't even do that. She literally just, throughout the whole movie, occasionally bleeds out the back of her, at the back of her head. And you, you know she's bleeding out the back of her head because she, she puts her hair... The thing about the movie is, and you see this in the trailer, her hair is real thick and dark and long. So... It, it's, it, you know, any injury that she sustained at the back of her head, it easily covers. So she keeps every once in a while throughout the film, she puts her hand back, touches her, the back of her head and draws back blood. And still at no point do she go to urgent care or do at no point do she put some peroxide on that. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's frustrating because it's like, Intimate partner violence is nothing to play with. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna talk about this thing, let it be for real. Because let's be this also be for real. If she's bleeding out the back of her head for days, and she also has brain trauma, that's not funny. That's not that's not a, a vehicle for suspense. That's alarming, and she doesn't go to she does, she just keeps it moving. She keeps it pumping. And but she's continuing to bleed. And that's just not realistic, because like even if you didn't want to to expose your partner who caused you harm, you would still go get seek medical attention. You'd, you'd go sit with somebody who would put some peroxide on it or something or at least close up, because if it's bleeding like that, it's still open. And days after the thing is still open. 
but anyway, it, it's just that detail just really got under my skin because I'm just like, I know this is a horror film, but like, we're not doing this thing right. So, we are introduced to, um, I keep wanting to call her Wendy, Madison. We are introduced to Madison's sister, um, all of these faces look so doggone familiar or like they look so similar that I got to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be rude, but like a lot of these faces look similar. I don't know who the heck they are. Anyway, her sister, we're introduced to her sister who is an actress and her sister clearly cares for her and they have a relationship and they have a, a, they have a deep relationship, but, um, we learn very quickly that uh, Madison was adopted. We learn that because her sister comes to her aid after having been um, involved in a traumatic situation. Excuse me, what's the traumatic situation? Well, the night of the uh, incident with her partner, Madison is asleep and her uh, partner is asleep. Madison is asleep in the bedroom. Her partner is asleep on the couch because, again, Madison locked him out of the bedroom and apparently she's, she never came out um, of the bedroom and she never let him in the bedroom. And so he was like, well, bump it. I'm going to just sleep on the couch. Well, Madison is dreaming and somehow or another her dream transforms into uh Oh, shoot. Oh, I didn't forgot. Long story short, she begins to have this very vivid dream where she sees this dark figure doing some dastardly things. And long story short, simultaneously while she's watching this figure, like she's first introduced to this figure um, that is dark and scary and, and all of that and freaking her out in the dream, her uh, partner is downstairs and is awoken by noises coming from like the kitchen or something like that or the living room or whatever. It's like he's walking around downstairs trying to figure out what's what, what's, what's happening. The lights are flickering, um, the TV comes on and, you know, we see the, 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 the image in the trailer, the, the scene from the trailer is her partner actually in the white shirt where he's looking at the TV or he's looking off, but we see the TV and we see the light flicker on. We see this dark figure sitting on the couch. And then when the light um, goes off, like he catches an image, he catches a glimpse of that dark figure sitting on the couch. And when the lights finally kind of return, they're off, but he turns them on and there's nothing sitting on the couch. But while there's nothing sitting on the couch, there's an indent that's been the indent, you know how when you sit down on a couch cushion, again, you saw the trailer, when you, when you sit down on the couch, because of the cushion, it's a cushion, it takes a minute, it, like to, it takes a few seconds for it to resume, to return to its normal position. And so this is what we see. We see, we saw the figure, her boothing thought he saw something, but he turns the light on and he doesn't see anything, but we see the indent of the couch cushion uh, it, it, dissipate, not dissipating, but like the the cushion is returning to normal and so we know yeah there really was something sitting there boo boo anyway so long story short 
We also see in the trailer that the thing that was sitting on the couch finds itself behind her boo thing and kills, stabs the boo thing in the neck. Um, and so boo thing is dead and poor Madison finds her boo thing dead in the house, calls the police. It's a big to do. And that's how her sister comes over and begins sitting with her and staying with her. And I think at this point we learn that perhaps, yes, this tragic thing happened to her boo thing, but we also get the sense that the incident that happened earlier that day is, is not abnormal. This has happened before. He's been violent toward her before. Um, and so the sister is like trying to support her and, and so, you know, really be a sister. And anyway, so it's at this point that the movie kind of kicks into high gear a little bit. We were, in, were introduced to Detective Koa Shaw, which is played by George Ng. And we're also introduced to his partner, which if you Google the cast, his partner, who is throughout the film, throughout the film is listed at like fifth. And it's Regina Moss. Um, the, the, the character name is Regina Ross and it's played by Nicole Brianna White. Anyway, so she's like way down on the list. But anyway, Brianna, Detective Brianna Weiss um, and Detective Ki... Did they say Kioa? I don't know what I said. Did I say Akoa? Anyway, Detective Shaw um, show up and this is how we're introduced to them and blah, blah, blah. So from this point on, every night, or it it gives the appearance that every night, Madison is having vivid dreams where she's transported to the next person that this mysterious figure that she learns is Gabriel. She doesn't know who the heck Gabriel is, but Gabriel's going around killing people in a very terrible, vicious way. Starts with the doctor, the same doctor that did that that, uh, recording in the very beginning. Um, Starts with her, kills her. Madison is in a dream and she sees it. And then she, the next morning she wakes up and she tells her sister, yeah, man, um, saw the woman die in my dream. This is messed up. Gotta tell somebody. And so we're... Madison and her sister go and see Detective Shaw and uh, Brianna, Detective Brianna, um, and tell, basically tell them that she's having, she has a psychic connection somehow with the, with the killer. And she saw the woman die before she actually died. She, she knows exactly how it happened and all of that stuff, making her a suspect at the same time, which is the dumbest thing, but whatever, it's a movie. So anyway, of course the police officers don't believe her, but now they're looking at her side eye because again, Yo, yo, boo thing died, was murdered in your home while you were upstairs, apparently asleep. So now you're telling me that you seeing the murder of somebody else that actually was murdered. Um, starting to think that you are somehow a part of this thing, baby. But, you know, we're going to keep it cute anyway. And of course, Madison and her sister walk away and Madison is like, they think I did this because girl, yeah, you made yourself look guilty um, or look like you did it. <clears throat> and anyway, so... Long story short, she keeps having these dreams where she sees people being murdered. Well, let me just give it, let me just, you know, let you have it. 
the people that are being murdered and the, these, the murders that she's witnessing of this dark figure that is about her height, but like completely different, um, long hair, but like dark and you never see their face. It, and when you do, it's just like a creature looking thing. Anyway, um, whose arms and legs are like a little bit backward, a little bit weird looking, right? But they're still agile, still able to move and do the things that they need to do. And there's a scene in which there's a woman that is captured. Um, she's, and this is the part where the history goes in. She's like a tour guide of sorts. And it's, this is after the doctor is killed, but before any of the other killings happen. She is finishing a tour and she's doing the tour of the underground, the original uh, the street level of Seattle, this part of Seattle that remember, remember I said earlier that there was an injection of history. Well, again, there was a flood and there were fires and things like that. And so when they were, when this, the elected leaders were deciding to rebuild, they just built it higher than the actual street. And so as a result, they built over because they built over the original street and the, the buildings, you can, some of the storefronts are still there and the, the cobblestone streets are still there and some of the old cars. And so the tour is all about showing you this piece of history in these caverns. And so the tour is over and she's locking up and this woman kind of favors Madison. She favors her a lot, actually. Um, and she's locking up and you know what's about to happen. The cliche thing where the lights turn off and she's like, who's there? And I think, I can't remember if this is in the trailer or not, but she's like, who's there? And surprise, surprise, the same dark figure that wouldn't kill the doctor is showing up and gets her, only doesn't kill her, traps her and puts her up in what looks like a, knocks her out and then puts her up in what looks like a attic. And she comes to and she sees the thing um, putting its jacket on and begins to talk to her through the radio again. So we know it's the same figure that was, that the doctor tried to basically put an end to in the very beginning, right? And so, and, and so this is Gabriel. We're seeing Gabriel, but we're not really seeing Gabriel. We're seeing the shape of Gabriel. Long, dark hair and through the radio, just like a, like an evil male voice. Um, and yeah, so they're fashioning something. Gabriel is fashioning something. Looks to be like something like a weapon. Turns out the, the award that the doctor got probably related to the, her research with Gabriel himself. He breaks the award, snatches the award from the house. Again, Detective Shaw and Brianna have... Apparently they caught that case too. So all of the cases are related and all of them or at least all of these cases, they seem to be the only detectives in Seattle because they keep catching all of these cases that happen to be related, but they're not, they don't know they're related until like the third end. Anyway, but the detective uh, Shaw and Brianna notice, I keep saying Brianna, Brianna is her first name um, in the thing. What is, oh, uh, no, Brianna is her, her name, uh, Detective Moss. Regina Moss is the screen name. So Detective Shaw and Detective Moss um, investigate the doctor's killing and find that there's an award missing, which, because they were looking for the murder weapon. Um, But meanwhile, back at the ranch, they see this big, that there's an award missing. They know that there's an award missing. Well, we flash forward to Gabriel having um, 
strung up this woman and, and tied her up to essentially something like the roof of the attic, like on the inside. And anyway, he's fashioning this weapon out of essentially the award because he's going to use the thing. Anyway, it's, well, it's clear he's going to use the thing. And he talks to her a little bit and the woman that he kidnapped. And then he goes on and does his bidding. And he says he's going to save her for last. And we don't know why that is. Well, he keeps going through and Madison keeps having these vivid dreams. And she, you know, tells her sister, but blah, blah, blah. They start going on this uh, journey um, where she's trying to figure out who she was. And they end up going to... Uh, Madison's adopted mother, which is her sister's biological mother. And anyway, um, she asked her mother, her adopted mother, who the heck Gabriel is. And so at this point, her mother shows her a series of VHS tapes where when they first, when when the adopted mother and her father, who apparently has passed on, he's not in any of these frames or any of the scenes, when... When they adopted her, she was talking, she had an imaginary friend and his name was Gabriel. Um, and he, uh, the mother said that she, we thought that this was just your way of trying to have some love and affection because you didn't have much love and affection where you were coming from. And we were told that you had a pretty dark life, a, a trauma filled life where you were coming from. So, um, we just wanted to give you as much love as possible. And we figured if we just kept loving you and showing you support and that we cared and that we weren't going anywhere, that you would have no need of it. Eventually, you'd have no need for your imaginary friend, Gabriel. Um, And that your imaginary friend, Gabriel, took you to some dark places, including making you lie a lot and making you inflict some sort of harm. And there's a certain point um, where we learn that yeah, Madison tried to inflict harm on her mom, which, you know, is if you know anything about adopt, uh, uh, trauma and in children experiencing trauma and then adopt, adopt, adoptions, I had the privilege over my life to be connected with uh, foster parents and parents who, people who decided to adopt their foster children. Um, and one of the things that they told me is that sometimes depending on the trauma that a child has faced, um, and actually I have my chapter, my sorority chapter, there are, um, some psychologists in there. And sometimes, um, a kid in that has been through a lot of trauma, it takes a while for the, uh, for as you, as anyone can imagine, you don't even need a bat, a medical background or have connection with clinicians to understand that it takes a minute for a person who has only known trauma in their short life to get over that trauma, right? And to trust again. And so sometimes it's true that, and I can't remember if this is in this movie or I watched it in something else, but, you know, trauma can manifest in different ways, including a person putting on baby voices, not developing their voice because of the trauma, because the the, ish, the thing that they went through was so doggone traumatic, or, you know, regressing to childhood because of that, um, even though they're older, acting out, lashing out, and, and inflicting harm on you or themselves, um, all manner of things in the very beginning. And it takes a very strong, patient person to be able to help help that, that person, and in this case, that child, heal. And 
which is exactly why I think adoptive parents are superheroes, especially the one, though, particular, though, no, not all of them, because some of them just be doing it for the check, but people, or at least some of the foster people be doing it for the check, but people who adopt, I tend to think they're superheroes because as long as they're good parents, because you're signing up, uh, and, and I'm not wishing this on any adoptive parent, but like, in many cases, the child has been through, the child has lived a rough life already through no fault of their own. Because again, children didn't do jack to get here. You summoned them. You did that. So anyway, you know, working, helping a child work through the trauma that somebody else created, somebody else inflicted on them, and getting the brunt of that hurt that's a strong person. And so I think adoptive parents are superheroes anyway. And I, yeah, I applaud anybody who does that and, and is like a hardcore parent, parent, like a actual parent. I will do anything for you. Parent. Mm, none like them anyway. Um, so, you know, it's clear that Madison put the family through a lot. Well, flash forward, um, she has another dream. Madison has another dream where she's seeing another doctor that was, oh, I guess I didn't say this. All the people that were connected to that trauma with Gabriel um, are being killed. And actually, Gabriel and, uh, I keep wanting to call her Wendy, Madison, uh, are connected. They're connected. We know that they're two entities that are connected. Um, and they both had experience. They were both in that hospital with being treated by these doctors. And so now she looks even more suspicious because, of course, Detective, uh, what's her name? Uh, Moss, Detective Moss and, and Detective Shaw find out that there's, that Madison has a connection from her youth to these doctors who are now being killed. And we know that she had a traumatic life they're starting to think, well, girl, maybe you want your get back. And so you're taking their lives as revenge for everything, for anything you think they might've done to you as a child. Anyway, so blah, blah, blah. So, you know, of course they arrest her um, after finding another doctor who's been brutally murdered, but somehow or another, Detective Shaw, I think I just skipped something, but whatever, Detective Shaw, is able to be on the murder scene pretty quickly and by himself. Um, so much so that he actually runs into Gabriel and then they go on this wild old goose chase where he's trying to find Gabriel. And Gabriel, he actually shoots Gabriel a couple of times, which is wild. And, you know, in the, sh- in the chasing, which is stupid, very stupid and ridiculous, because he finds this person, he finds Gabriel by himself, no backup, and then starts running, jumping off buildings and whatnot, jumping down fire escapes, I meant to say, um, and then diving into deep, dark crevices and holes and stuff full of water and, and doesn't know what he's going into, and some dress shoes and some slacks and a button-up. Anyway, so he's going on this wild goose chase. Oh, by the way, just shooting to pieces at Gabriel. Doesn't hit Gabriel at least four or five times. Gabriel's still running because apparently he got super, supernatural strength. Anyway, and so is Detective Shaw, though. That's the trip of it. Like, you ain't tired neither. Like, you failed at least three, for the, uh, to shoot six feet onto a garbage can. A garbage uh, bin. Big, big uh, dumpster-looking thing. 
it was a dumpster got, fell six feet onto a dumpster probably more than that and got up and, and still ran in your penny loafers anyway so came close but no cigar knows that it wasn't Madison but like somebody else still arrests Madison doesn't believe her he's beat up because Gabriel gave him the what for saw his Gabriel's face it was all mangled and messed up again definitely knows that it's not Madison but they still lock up Madison so meanwhile back at the ranch um like they think that she's that she is psychotic or living with a mental health condition and that she's also murderous um and she's complicit somehow so they keep her locked up and her sister then goes on a quest to find the hospital that has since closed down but where her records might be so of course she goes to this this hospital on a cliff and almost drives off a cliff when she parks um to go into this abandoned hospital by herself with a flashlight and whatever because it's a movie but blah 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 she finds her records comes to find out that Madison isn't an orphan Madison isn't an only child Madison is a twin Madison's mother is alive um Madison's mother was forced to give up Madison and Gabriel, Madison's twin, because her, uh, their mother, the, their grandmother told their mother that the child was abomination and that the, like perhaps they were religious or something like that. You get the sense that they might've been religious in any way. The mother was like 14 at the time. And so had to give up, rid of, get up the child forcibly, didn't want to do it. Because apparently uh, Madison's sister finds VHS tapes where she's being recorded by the very doctor that, again, Gabriel killed in the very beginning. So anyway, uh, we're coming to it now. Long story short, we hit the corner. The woman that was being kept in the attic, you guessed it, is Gabriel and Madison's mother. And so equipped with this um, information about Madison's mother being alive and Gabriel being her twin... Somehow or another, Madison is too activated. And not only is, is uh, Chew Gabriel her twin, but we learn very quickly that Gabriel is a part of Madison. Gabriel is not a separate entity. Gabriel is a malignant tumor that basically was a type of tumor that, what do they call it? It's like a parasitic twin a parasitic twin where one twin basically poisons the other in order to live. And so that's essentially what Gabriel has been doing to her her whole life. Uh, Or not her whole life, but let me back up. The movie says that the doctor, the good doctor in the very beginning, in order to stop Gabriel, Gabriel was taking over Madison's body. Um, And so it was, even though it was Madison's body, it was Gabriel that killed all those orderlies in the beginning. And so Gabriel was feeding off Madison's brain and, and immune system and, her, and her, her whole body as a way to feed him and give him strength. He had arms and legs and everything and a, and a twisted up deformed face. They had the same brain. And so when he would take over, he would control her and she would be dormant. And when she would take over through the aid of tranquilizers, he would be dormant and she would be able to do her thing. Um, and so that's what they went on like that. And so the point at which he killed all those order, those uh, the hospital staff is, excuse me, when the doctor decided that we want 
Madison to live. And if he keep, if we, excuse me, if we keep, um, if we allow Gabriel to continue living, he's going to kill Madison. And we want her to give her, uh, give her a best shot at living. And at this time she's like eight or nine. Um, and so they do this surgery where they cut off most of, obviously all of his arms and limbs on the back of her head. And then they just push his face into her head and close it up basically. And her hair covers it up. And somehow or another they repress her memory. Her memory of what happened is repressed. Um, and anyway, so he lays dormant, whatever they do, like medicine that they give her to forget this, forget that he exists or whatever, psychotropic, tropic, whatever they give her to forget it. Uh, they allow her to grow into her thirties and not remembering any of this stuff. And the point at which her boo thing abuses her and knocks her against the wall is when they dislodge Gabriel and wake him up, which is ironic and kind of weird because in the very beginning, one of the reasons why they fight her boo thing and, and her fight is because she's pregnant and he wants her to stop working because she's had three miscarriages before and he doesn't he doesn't want her to lose his uh, another child of his he's like he says something crass like my babies keep dying you keep you keep losing my babies or something like that which is very crash but anyway on par for this movie at this point so anyway so we flash backward and madison's adopted sister says oh gabriel has been killing all your babies which doesn't make any sense because gabriel was supposedly woken up when her boo thing knocked her up against the wall and her head collided with the wall. That was when he was supposed to be woken up because remember, she continued to bleed and she never went to the doctor. She never went to urgent care. So what we know is that that bleeding was Gabriel's face emerging when he would put her to sleep so he could do his thing. Anyway, but whatever. So that timing makes no sense and I'm mad that they even had it in the film, but whatever, they were kind of... At this point, that's like the least of this film's problem. Um... Or problem. So anyway, now we come to the end where Gabriel, as Madison, who's locked up somehow or another, is locked up in general population in the, the county jail uh, or central booking or whatever, kills everybody in the every woman in the cell that she was in because she had just been her she just gotten her butt kicked by two people that wanted to victimize her in that group big group jail, and so somehow or another she turns into Gabriel and Gabriel kills. Or Gabriel takes over and kills all of the people in the jail and then gets out and then starts killing all the detectives and stuff like that. And then, of course, gets to Shaw and um, uh, Moss and Darnier kills them, too. Um, but uh, Shaw is 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 well enough to be able to get up and go try to stop him and uh, blah, blah, blah stop him as in stop Madison and it's fully Madison now and long story short Madison finds a way to take over her body because um Gabriel's is oh the reason why uh, Madison was in jail because the the woman who was kidnapped which is their mother was actually in Madison's attic the attic that they were in was Madison's creepy old house and so when the detectives are leaving are just about to leave Madison's mama fall through the ceiling 
which again, okay, girl. Anyway, and so they Madison. That's how Madison ends up in uh, the uh, in Central Booking, and Madison's mama is in a, um, the hospital recuperating from the trauma and the physical trauma and the mental trauma, but mostly the physical trauma of being kidnapped. And so, after Gabriel taking over Madison's body, goes and. Um, he kills kills a lot of detectives and kills all the women and, and hurts Detective Shaw and uh, Moss. Um, he's headed to the hospital, so that's Madison. Madison's sister takes Detective Shaw uh, to the hospital because they're going to try to save the mama. Because again, when she went to that creepy hospital, she figured out all this information, and she knew she knew where she worked and all of that stuff and. And so blah, 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 she goes and finds the mama and who's laid up in the hospital and Gabriel's there. And long story short, the, 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 the adoptive sister is like, come on, you could do this, you could find, she's, try, he's trying to, she's trying to talk to Madison. Um, and long story short, Madison finds a way to take over and she ends up, she ends up imprisoning, that's what she does, she ends up imprisoning Gabriel. She imprisons Gabriel, and that's how the movie ends. She basically imprisons Gabriel in a, in, a, in a prison in her mind, and she takes over, and she starts living her life. And while she imprisons him, and she fully takes over, the, the scar, the, basically the opening where Gabriel would come out of the back of her head closes. It sutures itself, basically. And she's like, well, I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to take over. I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough to handle this. And so blah, 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 the end. Basically, she realizes that her, her real sister is this adoptive sister because blood is, is one thing, but like bond is another and you're my sister. And one of the other reasons why I'm, I'm for, I skip this because it's easy to skip, but the reason why Gabriel needed to be put down is because he was starting to escalate his behavior when he would take over as Madison. Um, or make Madison, like he would, at, at first he wouldn't take over as Madison. He would just talk to her and tell her what to do. Um, uh, after, after, no, no, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping. Anyway, her, her imaginary friend was Gabriel. That, that, again, this is another thing that doesn't make any sense. If he was woken up, oh my, there's just a lot of things that don't make sense because she was talking to him when she was a child. And he was encouraging her to do dastardly stuff. And sometimes he would take over. But like she still lived her whole life. I don't get it. Anyway, there's a, I have a lot more questions. Maybe it was just the, the, the show's attempt, this movie's attempt to try to say, listen, he was suppressed, but not nearly as good enough because he would still come to her in dreams. Um, and that she could see him and that actually she could see him in his waking life. And she, they, I guess they wanted to make it seem like when she was a child, after she had, after she was adopted and dealt with the trauma of, of just, after she was adopted, she was so excited to be with her adoptive family that she just worked really hard to separate herself from Gabriel, which meant, I guess she psychologically put him out of her mind, I guess. Um, so even though he was able to talk to her and try to influence her beforehand, 
she was stronger than him and she was able to push him out of her mind and he fell dormant. But somehow or another, he would wake up occasionally and, and keep her sickly, I guess. Sickly to the point where he would kill her babies. Like when she was, when she would get pregnant with this abusive punk that he would, Gabriel would still victimize her by taking the nutrients from her babies, which just seems like excessive for no reason. If I'm honest with you, it seems like it doesn't have a place there. Like we don't even talk about the fact that she was pregnant multiple times, except in relation to her abusive partner that ended up being killed by Gabriel. And at first you think it was because Gabriel didn't want any harm to come to his sister, but then we're led to believe that at the end it was because Gabriel wanted to inflict the pain on her. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But it just feels like a whole lot of trauma for no reason. Like no point, pointless trauma. Anyway, this movie wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. It wasn't even scary. It was gross. That was it. And Insidious was, had gross parts, but it was scary. Creepy. This movie wasn't junk. It wasn't nothing. And I'm, they need to hang it up. They need to hang this franchise up. Stop with the, with the adjectives, the nasty adjectives that, or the adjectives that mean terrible things. Just stop it. You're not living up to the name anymore. Um, but that's just me. If you like this. And also, here's the other thing. I'm also, when I was watching it, it occurred to me that maybe this would be scary to a teenager. And I should be fairer to it than I am as an adult. Maybe it's not scary to me because I'm an adult and I'm, I've seen a ton of horror movies and I can kind of, you know, I see a lot of this stuff. A lot of, a lot of older folks would see a lot of these tricks coming. Or maybe it's just a bad film at, at any age. I'm betting it's a bad film at any age, but there's a piece of me that thinks maybe I'm just not the demographic that this thing is for. Anyway, but I watched it because, you know, I'm trying to prepare for creepy season where I'm going to watch a whole lot more creepy things. Um, but yeah, this, this fell apart for me. It just wasn't even good. The, the trailer was scarier than the actual film. Um, there was just creepy moments that they really could have done something with, but ultimately didn't do a jack with. Anyway, so I don't know, but maybe that's just me. If you watched and you got a different feel, let me know uh, in the show notes. Click the show notes. It'll take you right to my anchor.fm page slash Spotify page, which will allow you to leave me any voice notes. I will be happy to listen to them and respond to them in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah. If you, if you have a recommendation for another scary film, it's like scary, scary. I'll watch it in the daytime. But if you have a recommendation for a scary, scary film, definitely let me know, send that uh, to me too in the voice notes and I will watch it and I will do my best to review it. I will probably watch it through my, fingers, but I'll do it. Anyway, I look forward to hearing from you. I thank you so much for listening today. I hope it was entertaining. I hope it wasn't boring, or I hope at the very least it allowed you to uh, do whatever tasks that you were dreading doing. Um, I, you know, as we transition to fall, I hope you're doing all right. Um, I hope you are trying to find some peace. I hope you are preparing for safe holidays a safe Thanksgiving, a, a safe Christmas, a safe, um, uh, all the religious safe to be able to enjoy the religious holidays safely. All of them, the Christian, the non-Christian, the non-religious, all of the holidays 
at these these gathering holidays. I hope you're preparing to enjoy them safely um, because we want you well. All right. And so with that, I will leave you um, until next time. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time listening, feel free to come back again, go back through the archive and listen to some other things, some actual scary mo- movies that I've, <laughs> I've reviewed um, or not so scary movies, but just things that I've talked about. You're welcome to just go back through my catalog and Look at this thing and share these things with anybody that you think might be into them. Um, Because ultimately, this is a hobby of mine. And this is how you enable me to continue to do this thing. So thank you so much. Appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. Or evening or morning, whenever you're listening to this. All right. Until next time.